Welcome back. We're in Genesis 1-1, starting the book of Genesis. And the first two podcast series were on, well, the first one was on Revelation, the second one is on Genesis. And I think the reason that I'm doing these two first is because they are undertaught in most churches. And even if they're taught, they're not fully understood because of the depth to them. So I really want to uh, just encourage you to study Revelation, to study Genesis. I think they, I know that they tie the Bible together, that the bookends of the Bible. You can't understand the Bible fully if you don't understand Genesis. You can't understand the Bible fully if you don't understand Revelation. So get a good framework for this is my encouragement, and the rest of the Bible will be much easier. We're going to have fun. We're going to go through Genesis. We're going to learn a lot, and I promise you it'll be beneficial. Uh, Genesis is one of the most amazing books of the Bible, if you understand it and uh, interpret it correctly. And so let's talk about some concepts really before we even get into interpreting the verses. And as you know, when you study the Bible, you want to focus on three things. The observation, meaning the reading of the text. The interpretation, which is what does it mean? And the application, which is what does it mean to me? And the application may change over time, depending on your circumstances that you're going through in your life, but the interp- interpretation will not. So we'll observe, interpret, and apply. But before we get to that, let's kind of talk about some overview, some background of, of Genesis, really, to bring it to life before we get into studying it. So God used Moses to compile the Pentateuch. This is uh, my belief. This is the most widely held belief. And the Pentateuch, which is the, the five books, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's, originally, it's one book, but we divided them up into five books. It was known as the, uh, in Hebrew, it's called the Torah. And it's a compilation that we have split into five books in the Bible. And Genesis is the first of those five books. Moses compiled the information, probably from original first-hand narratives written down, and passed down from generation to generation, and then compiled together by Moses as he was guided by the Holy Spirit. So remember, there's 66 books of the Bible. They were penned by 40 different people, but all inspired by God. It is the inerrant, inspired Word of God. So God is truly the author of every book of the Bible, but he worked through men to write them, to compile them, to add narrative, to add their personality. He, he used uh, all of those things. So God's sovereignty and, and his uh, uh, inspiration, but also working through people's kind of free will and personality, if you will. And we see no errors in the Bible, no contradictions. So background a little bit there. Genesis, what does it mean? It means origin. This is the only true and reliable account of the origins of the earth and the universe and life. And it should be used as the foundation for science and philosophy. God is the creator of science. Okay? So think about that. This is foundational. Genesis should be the foundation for science and philosophy. But instead, people who call themselves scientists, people who call themselves philosophers, they disregard the Bible and they come up with their own theories that contradict the Bible. But we know that God is omniscient, and that word omni and shint means all science. 
So God is the chief scientist. He is the creator of science. And anything that we, quote unquote, um, discover or create or any theories anybody comes up with, it's all based on God, what God originally created. We don't create anything. We only form things and discover things that God already created and knew about. There are over 200 quotations or allusions to Genesis in the New Testament. So, so many people say, well, the Genesis is just a story. It's just these fables, these allegories, just teaching stories. They weren't real. Well, why would there be 200 quotations or allusions to Genesis in the New Testament? Right? So, if you disagree with Genesis, then you're disagreeing with much of the New Testament and you're declaring that the Bible has errors and that this is not inerrant, which is an unbiblical view. Further, Jesus quoted or referred to Genesis chapters 1 through 11 at least six times, with specific references to each of the first seven chapters. So if Jesus referred to the beginning chapters of Genesis, then he must have believed them to be both true and important. So if you disagree with these chapters, then you're disagreeing with Jesus himself, and you're declaring that the Bible is not inerrant, but actually has errors. So... If you don't believe Genesis to be true, you're saying Jesus is a liar. Many of the uh, New Testament writers were liars, and thus God, who's the author of that, is a liar, and therefore you can't trust any of the Bible. Or you can say it's true, right? Nothing in Genesis has been proven to be false. There have been claims over time, and people say, oh, this person didn't exist. This country or people group didn't exist. This is not how it worked. This chronology doesn't work. And yet, guess what? Archaeology now has over 20,000. I think it's over 24,000 or 30,000. It's a big number. I know it's over 20,000 archaeological finds that have proven the facts, people, places, figures, and stories of the Bible. And do you know how many archaeological finds have contradicted the Bible, have found something in the Bible to be false? Not a single one. So you just give it time, and God proves his faithfulness. He proves that he is true. Genesis is not mythical or allegorical. It is historical, and it is historically accurate. It's authoritative and it's true. If you dismiss the truth and authority of Genesis, then you're dismissing what God declared to be true, and you're essentially calling Jesus a liar, which is very problematic for you if that's the case. If Genesis isn't true in its entirety, then it basically invalidates the prophets and the apostles because they taught that Genesis was true. Do you you catch that? If you don't think that Genesis was true, then you're disagreeing with the prophets and the apostles because they believe that Genesis was true. Again, if you don't believe Genesis, how can you believe the rest of the uh, any any other part of the Bible? Open your mind to learn what God wants you to hear. Listen, check, study for yourself, and I pray that you see and experience the deep truths of Genesis. Without a proper understanding, there's a good chance that your worldview will be different than the worldview that God wants you to have, to view the world through his biblical holy lenses. If you don't believe Genesis is true, if you think it's mythical or allegorical, then you can't believe 2 Timothy 3.16, which says that all scripture, not some scripture. So let's read 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture. Does it say some scripture is given by inspiration of God and the rest is just made up? And Does it say some scripture is given, but the rest is just good old stories that people wanted us to learn from or good old stories that God wanted us to learn from? No. When it's a parable, he'll tell us it's a parable. And a parable is basically an illustrated uh, an illustration that is designed to uh, portray a biblical spiritual principle. Um, but this is this is re- legit. This is real, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So don't try to minimize this and pick the points that you think are actually true and are not true because Jesus believed this to be true. The prophets, the apostles believed Genesis to be true. So if you're saying Genesis isn't true or parts of it aren't true, then you're in disagreement with Jesus, you're in disagreement with the apostles and with the prophets. Remember that there are over 20,000, uh, that over 20,000 that have confirmed the Bible not, uh, of archaeological finds and not a single archaeological find that has controverted biblical facts. So just think about that. Remember that history is his story. Spell it out. H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, history. H-I-S-S-T-O-R-Y, his story. So history revolves around God because it is his story. One of my close friends has a podcast with the motto, History Matters. And you can read that in two ways, that history is important and it matters, and also that his story, history, his story matters, right? The scientific case for macroevolution has easily been torn apart. Some scientists hijack the word science, yet, yet go against unpro- go against proven scientific principles in order to arrive at a conclusion uh, they like because of their feelings. And they say any scientist who disagrees is not a scientist, and they ostracize such creationists, and they push them out of what we, they would call their science circle, right? That's awful. Um, and it's unscientific of them to do, to just say, well, I disagree with you based on my feelings, and... Well, yes, I understand that we're violating scientific principles to arrive at the theory of evolution, but it's got to be right because I feel that it's right because I don't want to acknowledge that there's a creator, right? So their logic and reasoning is completely flawed. And if they would just see that, but do you know why they don't see that? Because they're blinded. Because the devil has taken their eyes and pushed them in his direction and away from God, and they're just they're following the devil, they're rejecting God, they're rejecting Jesus. Remember this, both macroevolution and creationism require faith. I find it much easier and much more in line with science that there is a God and he created everything deliberately and quickly than it is to believe in an unprovable theory that requires sound scientific principles to be completely ignored. Think about that. Evolution requires faith because it's a theory, it's an untestable, unprovable theory, and God is an unprovable uh, concept as well, right? You can't prove that there's a God. You can look at all the evidence. Scientists can look at their evidence, but both require faith in the end. I find it far easier to believe that there was a God who created everything than to believe that there was no God, that everything came into existence on its own, on its own, something came from nothing, and that an unintelligent universe that created itself also created intelligent life. 
Have you ever known anything intelligent to come from something unintelligent in history? Could a rock ever create a person? No. Could a um, pencil ever create a person on its own? No. Could a pencil create itself? No. So you see, science completely ignores their own rules in order to jump to their conclusions. God was around before he created the world. He didn't need us, nor does he need us now, but he chose to create us and love us. He desires to spend eternity with us. Unlike angels, he made us humans in his image. He gave us the ability to willingly choose him and also to willingly reject him. I don't know about you, but I think if I created something, then I would force it to like me and not have the ability to reject me. But then I would have missed out on one of the joys, on the joy of love and the choice that affords the opportunity for love. You get that? In order for love to exist, there must be choice. That's why God gave us choice and free will, because we have the ability to love him or to love something else. The majority of people choose to love something else. They love the theory of evolution. They love themselves. They love this or that. They love worldly things. They love their feelings. And I feel like this and I feel like that. But then they they judge other people for believing something different. It just is contradictory. It doesn't make sense. God is eternal and he has no beginning. It's difficult for our finite minds to fully understand the concept of eternity. There are no other gods because that would minimize the ability of at least one of them and thus they would be disqualified from having the necessary attributes of God. Do you get that? That's why there can't be more than one God. It's just, it's logical. It's common sense. All right. The Trinity is one Godhead and three persons, each equal, but with different roles. Similar to husbands and wives, equal, but with different roles. Although the Old Testament tended to focus on worshiping just one God, because so many people were worshiping multiple gods at the time, the Old Testament, the Old Testament definitely spoke of the multiple persons of the Godhead. Godhead. For example, in Let Us, which is plural in form, and when the angel of God appeared, it demonstrated he was multiple persons. Messiah, Messiah, God the Son, speaks about himself, the Spirit, and the Lord, Father, in Isaiah 48, 16 to 17, and 61 to 1 to 3. So let's just look at Isaiah 48, 16 to 17. It says, Come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was I was there. And now the Lord God and his Spirit have sent me. So right there we see the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in one place. So the Trinity is completely biblical. Though the actual word isn't used, the concept is clearly revealed to us in Scripture. Warren Wiersbe uh, said, according to Ephesians 1, 3-14, the plan of salvation is Trinitarian. We are chosen by the Father, purchased by the Son, and sealed by the Spirit. And all of this is to pray is to the praise of God's glory. The Father has given authority to the Son to give eternal life to those he has given to the Son. All of this was planned before there was ever a world. Think about that. Those are great, great analysis of Warren Wiersbe of Ephesians uh, 1, 3 to 14 and John 17, 1 to 3 right there. Basically saying that God's... Uh, God is a triune entity. There's three persons and one Godhead. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And all of what he created was planned before he even created it. He didn't guess it up as he goes, went along and was like, Oh, no, whoops, I screwed up. Man, did I ever make a mistake? No. He knew exactly what he was going to do before he did it, and he knows exactly what you're going to do before you do it because he can see the future. He lives in the future, the past, and the present all at the same time. And we will pick up there tomorrow and keep going on to some introduction to Genesis and uh, getting a good foundation before we get into the book. I hope you'll stick with us. Lord, thank you. Help us to understand uh, the Bible and the books that you wrote for us, love letter. Um, written word is one of the best forms of communication, which is why we use it for so many things. We use it for contracts. We use it for love letters. We use it for laws, uh, the Constitution. We use it for violations and court hearings. And help us understand that you left us this book, and it contains really all those things for us. It contains uh, uh, rebuke and rest- uh, Reproof and encouragement and the laws and what justice looks like and grace and mercy. Help us to open this book. You, you clearly created a force. It's your word. It's inerrant. There's nothing, there's nothing contradictory about it. Help us to read Genesis as you want us to read it. The literal creation of everything except you, Lord, because you're the only thing that's not created. You've always been, and it blows our minds, but help us just to understand that that's got to be true. It's got to be true of the, regardless of the argument. If there's a big bang, something caused the big bang. If something caused the big bang, what caused that something? The only difference is that because you're God, you're outside of the bounds of the nature that which you created. Help us to understand these deep concepts and to know that we have finite minds, and you'll explain it to us better, maybe even fully for us to understand because we'll have eternity if we're in heaven with you. But help us to understand um, you. Help us to learn about you and have that desire. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Daily Verse by Verse. We want you to be prepared in season and out of season to study the whole counsel of God so that you can share with people who Jesus is through your actions so that you have the right to tell them who Jesus is so that they can come to know Jesus or come to know Jesus better. We strongly encourage you to share this message, this podcast on your social media, Facebook, Instagram, message, email someone who you think could benefit from it. It's an easy way for you to go out and witness to the world just by sharing this podcast. We hope you'll join us tomorrow. Have a wonderful day.